0: Going? I'm, it's good. It's good. How are you? I'm fine. I probably I'm probably
1: ready to podcast.
0: I'm ready to podcast too. I probably sound like uh, 2011 because <laughs> I because I have my old my old Plantronics on. Oh yeah, 2011 is calling They want their headphones back. Right, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. But thanks to Dan Alexander, <laughs> <laughs> Dan Alexander, Dan Benjamin, Ben Alexander, Dan dan some, ben, ben dan benjamin
1: alexander benjamin
0: Al, alexander graham bell i think you're <laughs> thinking of the guy who's uh made the telex machine
1: <laughs> i think you're thinking of fax.
0: ah uh, <laughs> uh so so hey how are you
1: i'm good i'm good this is we're doing a late night uh podcast uh this time it's a little bit different we haven't done this one in a while
0: i know and in fact that's what uh Kind of mess me up with uh, where my microphone is. I really should just have a second microphone. Like I figured out how to move it really nicely, um, mm-hmm. but I I moved it back to my office, not here in my home office. Right, that was dumb. Uh, oh, well. yeah. Well, or or you should just always podcast from the same place. Should do that. Um, <laughs> well, but I I can't do that. I probably won't do that. I boy, what either either I need a second one or. Or something, um. Hey, so I'm on, on a new machine as well, and it seems to be like nice. It's old. not, it, it's not, uh, um, it, it's not. Uh, the fan is not running. Uh, nothing, nothing is going on, which is old. No.
1: Old headphones, new machine.
0: Old headphones, new machine.
1: Like the brand new, new.
0: Uh like, uh, like, like a week and a half old.
1: Oh, awesome! What you get?
0: Uh a souped-up MacBook Air, 11-inch um cuz i had uh, one that wasn't quite as souped up mm. and and i've now th- i this people love this when we talk about this but i have now um uh totally um uh got totally uh migrated everything from the 17 inch old macbook pro that i had to this 11 inch uh macbook air um which is kind of awesome so this is so so now i have a Um, 27 inch Thunderbolt, um, like monitor, whatever they're called it Mm -hmm. in my office on campus. And then one here at home and then this little 11 inch MacBook air. And that's my, that's my setup now. Cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very happy and it's nice and it's not tanking out on me. That's good. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and I'm drinking, I shut out today on, on what I'm drinking. To the Raleigh Brewing Company, I have a uh, something that I'm drinking from a, a growler. We talked about growlers. We did. Yeah. So I got a. I, I picked myself up a, a, growl, a growler from the Raleigh Brewing Company, and I'm drinking a. Uh, let me see. Let me tell you what it is. I think it's the. It's either they have some great names. It's either the City of Blokes, or. The, oh, no, it's, I, I'm drinking the House of Clay Rye IPA. It's really nice.
1: <laughs> I, I, I can tell. It's, uh, you sound rye.
0: I, ah, I, are you sure I just don't sound IPA-ish?
1: <laughs> well, you do sound a little pale. Oh, <laughs>
0: excellent. Um, so, yeah, So that's, uh, that's all the stuff that, that I normally do. I tell you, my Skype isn't working, what, <laughs> Uh, what computer I'm on Where I am And what I'm drinking And I'm not eating anything tonight
1: I can tell <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate
0: that Well you're welcome No apples No No crunching No chewing Nothing
1: That's good um, so i uh, i am having uh, i am having a, a bourbon, uh, and I have this. I think I've talked to you about this before. I have this. Uh, if, if they made it at Starbucks, they would call it a, a skinny mint julep, because oh, gosh. because it's uh, mint leaves crushed up with some Splenda, and then uh, bur- bourbon poured over the top of it with ice.
0: Is that a non-fat mint leaf? Well, no, it's skinny in that it's Splenda instead of sugar. Gotcha, gotcha. But uh, my my skinny latte I'm, uh, has the non non fat and
1: the no sugar. I'm pretty sure my bourbon's non fat. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's uh, well, that's good. Um, my 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 setup here today is a, is a, is a little bit is a little bit different. I have. Uh, uh, my my desk is facing uh it's turned 90 degrees clockwise from how it's usually facing
0: is... <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is
0: which is great not only for me but for our listeners who have never seen your office <laughs> i think
1: i posted pictures <laughs> oh
0: excellent so it's so you've rotated is this have you done this because of the time change that... <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Excellent. Spring <laughs> forward, it's fall back. Fall, fall 90 degrees or spring 90 degrees clockwise.
1: Yeah. But no, actually, I've done it because uh, I have I've totally not not only is my desk uh, turned 90 degrees, but I have a, a new desk. So I have uh, I've invested in some fancy Desk and, and office software. I mean, hardware rather. Oh. Uh, I have uh, now a really nice um, adjustable standing desk. Excellent. Um, so I can I can not, but I am sitting at the moment. But but the most important part of the the standing desk is the reason I got the standing desk is because I also got a treadmill, so I can walk and type at the same time i haven't tried chewing gum uh but uh but i can walk and type at the same time and uh, i tell you i've been doing it for for two days and i am kicking butt
0: you are your your pedometer can't keep up
1: well it's it's yeah let's just say it's setting new records it's
0: it must be uh, that's crazy so are you currently walking now
1: no, no, I'm not, because uh, that, would be, uh, that would be rude. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but also the treadmill does uh, make some noise.
0: Oh, well, that, that makes sense. I, <laughs> this is going to make me sound ridiculously lazy. I had actually thought about tonight's podcast trying to do it from my
1: bathtub. <laughs> which <laughs> so take some ricky gervais style photos
0: right right take some ricky gervais photos do do a whole podcast in the bathtub um but i thought nah there's gonna be an echo um and here you are potentially have you have a setup ready to go where you could do it while you're walking um that's that's awesome did you see uh victoria beckham on her uh treadmill uh, stand-up desk uh, Setup.
1: Do you know who Victoria Beckham is? Um, I think I think she's a Spice Girl. that's married to David Beckham. That's and correct? They get that right. Yeah, she's a she po- posh Spice. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um,
0: I'm I'm embarrassed that I know that. I'm, don't don't be embarrassed. That's that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I need to. I gotta find you this uh th- this picture because I I saw it this week. She's on a treadmill. And she is wearing, and I'm sure just like you on your treadmill, this is in people magazine i'm going uh send you the link uh via uh via messages right now um okay. she is uh, on her treadmill at her stand up desk wearing high heels um so stilettos I think they're uh five inch heels,
1: so I look forward to to some pictures like that of you. <laughs> sure because that's that's exactly what i wanted to wear when i'm working uh, it it's an added level of oh i did you know i did see this i did this did come across my desk I, for some reason i've been searching for stuff on treadmill desks cuz i've been considering buying one and looking at you know uh, some of my um people that i know from the internet that that use them and things like that so um but uh yeah i'm uh, those are yeah no i'm not going to do that I
0: think you should <laughs> I nope. could okay, this actually brings up something else. there's another I'll see if I can find the link of this, but there this is this is us just doing what I saw on the internet um, there's a website of a guy who has spent the last two years dressing up like the same picture that you would see on a realty sign. <laughs> okay okay i I, let me see how quickly i can find a link to this anyway it's phenomenal well go ahead and i would like you my challenge to you for homework because we haven't done homework in forever right is to um take a picture that and make yourself look just like victoria beckham on your stand-up treadmill desk that that made me a long time uh,
1: before we do that homework. So
0: <laughs> it's too bad, but I, in the um, in the spirit of this website, I think you'll really enjoy this. And I don't uh, let me you you jump to something else, and I'll see if I can find it. Well,
1: <laughs> Don, I'll, let me throw it to you. Well, yeah, thanks. There's like a lot of things going on. So like Bill Marler is calling me on the phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because we told him like 25 minutes after and, and it's 25 uh, minutes after five, and we you started late and we've been talking about nonsense That's um true. So I'm just going to ignore him, and then we'll get back to him. So um, uh, what was I going to talk about? Oh, homework. So I gave I, – speaking of homework, I did give my graduate students some homework recently on confidence intervals. Huh? So I have uh, been – like I said, I've been following this uh, statistics blog by this guy, uh, uh, Gelman, and uh, we talked about him on the last podcast. And, um uh he posted something very interesting on confidence intervals and so or he he ba he, yeah, he posted something that related to something on confidence intervals and so i've sent that to my graduate students as a uh, as a homework assignment
0: uh excellent i um thanks for you shared a couple of things uh from gelman's uh um blog uh including a a really nice um paper on narrative And so he's. uh, I've I've started uh, following um, following that blog on RSS feeds in the old the old school style, Uh, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. How did you stumble across that?
1: Where did you? I don't know where I came across it. Um, yeah, but I'm really glad that I did. You know, it's like uh, probably in the in the search history of my um uh, internet browser, I could probably figure it out. But uh,
0: it's really not worth it.
1: So what should I? What should I, I? I've already i've i've told i've told Marler that we're late because of you. Um, right. uh, <laughs> okay. What, what, what should I tell him?
0: I think we should. We, we let's. Why don't we invite him on? Let's, oh, all right.
1: Let's just do it and for, then, for this for all of this nonsense, including yeah, talking this, about.
0: Yeah, but before you do, before yeah. we add him in, look at yeah. the look at the link I just sent you. I'm looking the, at it. The yes. guy, this guy, spent the last <laughs> month dressing up like local realtors and pasting is... himself over their bench ads. Oh, this is great! It's amazing. This is yeah. This is this is what we need more of. This, this is world. what the internet is for. This this is what ARPANET was created for back yes. in the seventies. Was someday. A guy is going to get an idea to dress up, like, the most ridiculous pictures that he's seen on realty, realtor benches and and be part of it. It's amazing. Anyway, that is the only link from BuzzFeed that I have um, – that I don't hate myself for looking at. <laughs> hey, but you clicked it. I did. I did. Or someone – I don't even know how I got it.
1: Uh, um. So – Anyway, this is you good. don't you don't want to click on sixteen vintage underwear ads that will give you nightmares. Don't eleven movie quotes you think you know, but you really don't.
0: <laughs> Thirty three impossibly
1: sexy, sexy boudoir, boudoir photo, photo poses. poses. Yes, oh, it's just phenomenal. Let's let's just read uh, let's just read BuzzFeed uh, headlines for this episode. What do you think? <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it's a great idea. Oh, uh, let's get let's invite Marlar on.
1: Okay, hold on. Yeah, uh, sure. We can can you like maybe do some uh, like whistle in the background or something for some uh, incidental music while we do this? Sure. <laughs> 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 liar the liar. I knew you'd like that one. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, apparently I don't know what kind of cereal my wife likes, but anyway. But you know what kind of cereal Omar likes. Yeah, well now I know what kind of uh my wife likes. It's, hey hey bill hey bill hey hey, guys how huh? you doing i'm good H- how are things out there in seattle
2: it's they're wet we've <laughs> just wet 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 it's been uh it's been a uh most i think it's the wettest Mar- uh, february and march on record so which is saying a lot
1: wow um, yeah because it's usually pretty wet there in general
2: it is. It is. But uh, yeah, I'm, I was. Uh, I've been on this uh, new uh, walking regime. I've been walking between nine and eleven miles every day since September, and so I've gotten. You know, on the weekends I walk around the island, and it's amazing how many. When you're driving, you don't notice it, but when you're walking, you notice how many little creeks there are. So, <laughs>
1: uh, yeah,
2: and there's more of them now. So.
0: Um, Don was just talking before you jumped on about his new office setup at home, which involves a stand-up desk and a treadmill.
1: So that's Oh, excellent! So in the last couple of days, and it's only a couple of days; it's not like a couple of months. Like you, I've been doing some more walking. So I'm hoping. So I, I have, I have been always been a fan of walking, and I try to get five miles a day, um, and I wear a pedometer. But I, but I haven't. I usually can do probably four, four to five miles, I'd say. Um, But with this, uh, with this treadmill, I'm kicking butt. So
2: good. Well, I've I've lost thirty pounds. Wow. 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 Phenomenal. And I haven't really – haven't changed much of anything. So, I mean, just walking 10 miles a day will do that. <laughs> so,
1: that's fantastic.
2: That's changing something. It is. Yeah. But, you know, the, I just – what I did is I just tried to think about, like, where I could squeeze that in without, like, changing things. And mm-hmm. it's basically, you know, because I commute by ferry um, from an island. And so now I, I walk on the ferry and I get about five miles in a day mm. doing that. Huh. And then I've been going to the airport because I travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Going, going to the airports like an hour early and walking around the airports. So.
1: Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the 30 pounds. That's, that's great.
2: 20 more and I'll look just like Ben. <laughs> Do you, are you growing a beard? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. I'm growing a beard and shaving my head. Excellent. <laughs> <This is> per-
0: <laughs> I think you're going to look like um, the guy from Breaking Bad. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Walter Walter White. <laughs>
2: Walter White. Walter
0: White. Yeah. Uh, so, so Bill, thanks for for jumping on and joining us on the the podcast and for uh the listeners that uh, don't know, uh we've got uh, Bill Marler of Marla Clark uh to um sit and chat with us for a while tonight. Um we've got um we I guess Maybe, Bill, you're out of 58, 50, yeah, 58 episodes. I think you're about our sixth or seventh guest. Um, we, uh, uh I don't know if you, you had a chance to listen or if you
2: followed oh, I'm, the. No, I'm a fan. Oh, a well, fan.
0: thank you. Um, we uh We had David Gumpert on Gumpert's on uh i guess four four episodes ago and had a good conversation about raw milk and um you had mentioned on Twitter last week that you'd like to get on the show and it's as simple as that you you tweet about it and here you are hey. uh,
1: so that's well, you tweet about it and then when we tell you that uh, about the podcast we've already scheduled yeah. you you are available so, right,
2: so... it's perfect so, well i have shows it shows you what exciting life I have. <laughs>
1: I figured you'd be you'd be busy prepping for a trial or you'd be on an airplane or something else but
2: uh well I I I I was trying to remember if I had to leave tomorrow or Tuesday but I'm going to I think it's Tuesday I I speak at a uh the Idaho Environmental Health Association so I'm there I'm there I'm there morning entertainment on Wednesday
1: so oh. Very good. They're they're nice folks. Uh, I yeah. spoke to them because um, I think they're the IAFP affiliate there in Idaho, and and mm. I spoke to them a couple of years ago after I I joined the board and uh, and Boise. I don't, I've never I had never been to Boise before, but Boise is a beautiful city, and they're it really is. gracious hosts. So
2: yeah, so it'll be fun. It'll be fun. So it's a it's a quick flight. So cool. Um, so
0: we had some stuff that that we wanted to chat about. Um, you'd sent us some uh, a few. Uh, links on on some stuff that's going on um, that you wanted to to talk about if you and maybe we should probably start just by introducing or getting you to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners a little bit about your background and where you fit into the world of food safety
2: well um, let's see I was started out as a uh, I think I was Three or four years old in the jack in the box case <laughs> yeah. so I was no i'm it's it's amazing I you know I, we've now passed you know past twenty years the jack in the box case and uh, uh, but that was my first foray into it um, no background in science per se uh, no background in food safety um, but in the twenty years since Jack in the box I've been you know involved in you know I'd say every major foodborne illness outbreak that's occurred in the United States, I've represented, you know, some or all of the people in that outbreak. And so, you know, I mean, obviously I haven't been in the trenches like, you know, the two of you guys have, or many of the people, you know, in government or industry who, you know, spend their days in and out, you know, trying to do food safety. But, um, you know, obviously I've seen it food safety from a, you know, a very, different perspective and, you know, somewhat, you know, sometimes very personal and emotional perspective.
0: We, uh, back, um, I don't know, sometime last year, probably, um, Don and I talked about, uh, the book Poisoned, um, uh, a few times and, um, that book for, for those who, who don't know, um, sort of, or, I mean, does chronicle the, very in-depth the uh Jack in the Box um case and really um you know it's really really interesting read from someone you know I've I've known you for a while and didn't know sort of all the ins and outs of uh, uh, the depth of uh, of of what was going on and um you know as as a as a scientist and someone on the the technical side of things it was really an interesting read to see how the legal aspect kind of fought itself out or how you fought it out or you know, whatever whatever the right terminology is but but a lot of the um a lot of that stuff is was was pretty pretty fascinating uh to read about and it's a pretty good it's a very good read
2: well you know i think you know for 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 lawyers, or for, at least for me in, in in this space, I'm as fascinated by what you guys do, and especially you know the microbiology and the epidemiology that I've I've had to learn incredibly the hard way. Um, it, that all those things are somewhat still you know exciting and a mystery to me. Um, and I know for most people uh, that the law is you know kind of can be a frightening and you know, mysterious place, too, um, and, uh, you know, that most people want to avoid. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. so like, like, you know, I want to avoid, you know, some, you know, dastardly bacterial disease. And, uh, you know, most people want to avoid lawyers at all costs.
0: We uh
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and the line goes dead, <laughs> like, um, uh, yeah we yeah that's that's true well, no, and what what i what I was going to say what i have found i have found very interesting about the poison book and about working with lawyers over the years is that I find that generally their brains tend to work in very different ways than the way scientists' brains work and I still remember serving on a National Academy panel uh, with a, a, a academic lawyer, um, uh, Marsha Cohen, I think her name was, and I, we were talking about some food safety-related thing, and I said, Look, I to explain this to you. Um, let me draw you a picture. And she said, "No, no, you can't do that because if you draw me a picture, I won't understand it. You have to explain it to me using words." And it was like a it was like getting smacked upside the head with a two by four. Like it never occurred to me that there might be somebody that wouldn't benefit from me drawing them a picture about what I was talking about, that, that for her brain to process it, I really had to take that picture in my head, which is the way that I think about stuff, and translate it into words so that it, so that it made more sense to her. Now, I'm not saying that's the way all lawyers are, but to me, it's, just, it's really a different way of thinking about the world, or it's a different aspect of how we as humans are in the world. And so, I, again, I, I, just, I find it fascinating every time I have an opportunity to interact uh, with a lawyer because I always learn something about the way, you know, uh, that 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 world perceives uh, uh, that 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 realm perceives the world.
2: I think that's true.
1: That's true. So so, Ben, I know in the uh, in the show notes you had indicated you had a a bunch of questions that you wanted to ask, Bill.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, some topic areas, I think there's um, there's so much going on um, you know, in the world of food safety and litigation, um, that, that we've talked about on the show a lot that are, that are really hot topics that I think the, the listeners uh, seem to be interested in. And, and Bill's, um, Bill, you're involved in a lot of them. I mean, like, like you said, in the introduction, you've, you've got, you've really been, Part of pretty much every national outbreak and, and a lot of non national outbreaks as as far as I can um remember and and it's kind of it's kind of cool to um to just sort of check in with you on on what's you know wh- where where things are at um with with some of these these cases um we've talked a bunch about um jensen farms Mm -hmm. um and i'm Mm -hmm. sure you've talked a ton about it and don and i weren't sure if you're able to talk anything about it with us today um just because of where it's at but um i was i'm i'm really interested in in two parts of this you know following this from the outside um one it's it's really the first time that uh that we've seen a service provider um you know, primus labs involved in, in, you know, named in the lawsuit. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then also we've got this, you know, really um, interesting situation that that you've written about a lot with uh, the, the, you know, criminal charges and and probation Mm -hmm. for the, for the um, Jensen brothers. Is, is, Is there anything that you can chat about it with us on that?
2: Well, I actually, those, you know, I mean, those are the two in some respects most fascinating parts you know of of this outbreak it's uh, uh this outbreak is you know uh unusual you know partly because it's such an incredible tragedy um you know i represent 46 of the 60 claimants who've come forward and uh 28 of those people that i represent are either people who died or the family members of people who died. Um, And so, you know, just, I mean, I certainly have been involved in cases where people have died in foodborne illness outbreaks, but it's just sort of the immensity of this has been, you know, just crazy. Uh, um, And and each one of these families have just an amazing story of, of, uh, you know, People who, you know, Purple Heart winners and World War II, you know, successful lives, um, you know, retired, you know, golfing every day, eat a cantaloupe and they're dead in 10 days. I mean, that sort of story, you know, repeated again and again and again. Um, you know, people who had survived cancer or who maybe was were undergoing cancer treatments, you know, moms who were Pregnant, and you know, had child. You know, child was born prematurely and with deficits. I mean, just a. I mean, it's been a, a real emotional, uh, uh, strain. You know, on the families, uh, and the fact that the litigation has gone on for three years, uh, which is unusual, um, in the length of time, and it's also unusual because. You know the depth of the number of defendants and the size of the defendants. Um, you know it's it's pretty unusual to be in litigation where you have you know, you're litigating against the two largest uh, you know retail companies you know basically in the world, Walmart and Kroger, um, and there are hordes of lawyers. Um, but you know to the, the the real fascinating aspect of it is one is it's the it's the criminal thing that has happened with the Jensen's, um, you know, it has been that aspect has been almost the topic of, you know, every single speech that I've given to food safety or, you know, to food purveyors and, and, uh, over the last three years, whether that was my topic or not. I mean, mm-hmm. somewhere, somewhere, somebody goes, uh, Mr. Marler, let me get this straight. Um, you know, I can unknowingly ship contaminated product into the marketplace and I can be charged with a crime. And I'm like, that's true. Well let me so so if I've done everything correctly and I've just shipped the product into the marketplace and somebody tests it and it's found to be positive for Salmonella E. coli listeria, even though no one's gotten sick. I can be charged with a crime. And I'm saying that is absolutely correct. And, you know, clearly that law has existed for a very long time. Uh, It has never been enforced. uh, And this outbreak, because of 33 people dead, it was pretty difficult to ignore it. And so, um, you know, the prosecutors, you know, used the law that existed um, and you know, it is, I think, opened up the eyes of a lot of uh, manufacturers of food. <laughs> so, know. so, Bill, do you think that
1: that it was only a matter of time, though, before the FDA would have done something like this anyway? I mean, obviously, this was a very significant case and a huge tragedy, but was it was it getting to the point where it was going to be about time for the FDA, you know, with FISMA coming and with them needing to sort of flex their muscles for them to do this, or or was it re- would it really have taken uh, a very unusual, significant, catastrophic outbreak like this to to spur them to action?
2: Yeah, I I uh, and this is you know based on twenty years of doing this kind of stuff. I mean. Um, obviously, 33 people dead, that's significant. Um, uh, there have certainly been, you know, many, many, many outbreaks that I've been involved in where, you know, hundreds of people have been sick and, and you know, less than a dozen die. But um, usually what you see in the very few handful of cases where they've been any kind of prosecution, there's, there's some sort of uh, intentional act or... You know, really, super, you know what you'd call gross negligence—something uh, uh, that really sort of shocks the conscience. Um, uh, so, this 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 outbreak had a lot of the, you know, the horror of 33 sick, and but you didn't have—you basically had people being not real bright, running an operation. Th- there was no intent here. There was no. There was not even you know and i and i can speak to this very clearly there was no intent to save a buck or you know to you know ship product that they knew was potentially contaminated this is just just not these in, people just weren't smart
1: in in contrast to let's say pca <laughs>
2: it, exactly 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 but but um it it's hard to see that it it had, you know, I would not say it has anything to do with FISMA or FDA flexing its muscle. Um, I think what it is it's the Office of Criminal Investigation uh, that's existed for a long time, um, utilizing the laws that have been on the books for you know literally decades um, and you know it'll be interesting to see the next prosecution. Mm that that to me that'll tell you that'll tell us much that'll tell us whether or not um uh, the uh, whether or not this was just sort of a one off thirty three people dead we got to do something or if there's really something more interesting going on um i can i i can't reveal the name of the company uh but I did get contacted recently. Uh, by the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, interested in um, investigating a uh, meat company that supplied uh, contaminated meat to the marketplace. Um, And when I explained to them, you know, the ins and outs of what's an adulterant and what's not an adulterant, you know, they're you could kind of tell that they backed away from the phone and then eventually just hung up. So, so, so I I don't think there's going to be a prosecution in that regard. So, um, so it'll, it'll be interesting. I think, I think it'll be the next, the next outbreak where there are people sick or the next recall where they recall, you know, millions of pounds of product, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the Office of Criminal Investigation steps up or not.
0: What, um, Bill? Going back to the uh, Edwala case in 1996, there was—I mm-hmm. um, I think that were, were there not criminal charges brought against a couple individuals there? Was that a different uh, law that was used, or is that the same kind of thing as what we saw with Jensen?
2: Um, it, That's—it's a—it was. It's not what you thought it was. Okay. <laughs> you know, what Most people thought it was. Um, what happened was that they were under investigation uh, because of the E. coli 0157H7 outbreak. But what they got charged with and what they were eventually pled to was um, uh, misbranding of product. Oh. Because when the investigators went in, they found these 50-gallon, like hundreds of 50-gallon drums of fructose. That they were adding to their product, to but yet they were saying that it was all natural, no additives. So what they got hammered on is not because they sickened not
0: the illnesses, mm
2: -hmm, sickened eighty people and killed a kid. They got nailed because they were mixing fructose in with their product and not telling the consumer. So it's yeah, it's kind of it's interesting and you know and most of the Most of the prosecutions um, that have, you know, come forward have been, um, you know, under the adulteration side, uh, but have been adulterations not the way we think about it in food safety, but, you know, in a sense, economic adulteration. Oh, the frauds type stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like if we had a situation, um, similar to what happened in Europe last year with the horse meat being branded as beef and other things, that kind of, uh, adulteration is exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, we, um, I don't know if you, if you saw any of this last year, but here in North Carolina, the, um, the governor signed this bill, uh, into law um, that limits a farmer's liability for food safety illnesses um, and I, I don't know so I don't I'll, I'll send you the the link if you haven't seen it
2: no I, um, I actually I, I, you, I saw that okay yeah, it's
0: yeah does that, it do anything does that I mean from uh, from your standpoint um, if you know say a situation where uh, a north an outbreak was linked to a North Carolina producer does it does it matter?
2: Um, you you got to always think about uh, illnesses and the potential litigation that might come from that. Um, you always got to think about once you walk inside a courtroom. There's a hundred percent liability somewhere in that courtroom, um, and the law allows for that liability to get apportioned amongst everybody who's in the room so if you've got a producer that the governor has said is 0% liable then that liability that 100% has to be found somewhere else and maybe it's the the retail outlet and maybe um maybe there's you know depending upon the type of product maybe some of the the blame you know can be shifted to the victim you know mm-hmm. if if they were you know, buying raw milk or, you know, raw oysters or, you know, if there's an allegation that the hamburger was cooked, in you know, uh, inappropriately or they ordered, you know, rare steak. I mean, the, within a courtroom, there's always 100 percent liability. Um, if there are decisions that are made by legislators and governors to um, say that one group should be Immune from liability because of pick a reason, um, they're still going to fall on somebody else. Yeah. So,
0: it was, uh, uh, yeah. When that when that law came out, Don and I talked about it on the podcast, and I think I wrote something on on Barflog mm-hmm. about it. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember, but but I remember thinking that although it seems like it's really good and, and protectionist for the producers, you know, thinking about it from a, from the political standpoint, from the governor or, um, you know, whomever sort of push it uh, to the le- legislature. I also thought that the, the unintended fallout is if I'm a, if I'm a retailer and, and I'm a national retailer and I've got a choice between someone in North Carolina and someone who's not in North Carolina to sell me some stuff. And I know exactly what you just you know brought up that, that, there, there's hundred percent liability somewhere in that courtroom and, and all of a sudden I take out the supplier of that product as one of those links and it's you know likely a, a larger portion is going to fall back on me as the retailer I might not choose to purchase some stuff from North Carolina and I don't you know I don't know if, if anybody's doing that. Um, or if anybody's even aw- aware of it, and it, you know, right, you right. know often this stuff no one no one hears about or or sees it until it's tested, right? Like that there's right. there, there's an issue, but but that's the kind of stuff that I'd be thinking of if I was a retailer or a food service co- company.
2: Yeah, I mean that's absolutely correct. And the, and the other thing too is is that let's just use your that as an example. Let's just say you've got a, a producer, a you know, farmer in North Carolina that they've now said that there's no liability um and that farmer who's got no liability to the victim uh you know sells cantaloupe to the grocery store and the and the produce and the the, the, the customer buys the cantaloupe and gets listeria and gets sick and dies and the family of that person sues the grocery store um and sues the farmer and you know the the farmer says no the governor says i get a free pass so i don't have to deal with it i can guarantee you what will happen is is that you know when the retailer pays out the judgment they will turn around and sue the farmer mm. to collect that money back so you know it's it you, you the, the the law is a very very nasty mistress um, you know, it'll it'll find you somewhere, and and and, it, and it'll hit you because, you know, you know, legislatures may try to sort of do the political thing, but contracts between you know stores, um, you know, big producers, um, and farmers, um, you know, always benefit the powerful, and um, so you know, grocery stores will push the liability. Right back on the farmer, and even if the governor was trying to protect them, it doesn't really protect them.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it it might be a situation where it gets some votes.
2: Yes, it yeah. looks good. It looks, it looks re- good.
0: Yeah, it looks really, it, really good. It looks good.
2: It looks good, but it doesn't. And you know, and then of course, um, many times what people seem to forget is that uh, you know voters. Uh, also are consumers who eat, uh, and, um, you know, if you try to create a system where, um, victims have no recourse, um, you know, no economic recourse against, uh, someone who's cost them, you know, hundreds and if not hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in medical bills and future costs, um, you know, if you try to create immunities from that, um, you know, we're getting back to the somebody gets tagged with that hundred percent, and it may be that the victim has to absorb it, uh, or maybe the taxpayer has to absorb it, but somebody absorbs it. Mm-hmm. So, um,
0: one of the things that um, the youth sent on to to Don and I um, for a, a topic of, of discussion uh, is. Uh, you know, kind of this interesting situation where um, we've seen a lot of illnesses, um, almost 500 of them linked to uh, different strains of Salmonella Heidelberg, uh, linked to uh, Foster Farms, and with, you know, very, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure what the right word is, but a, 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 not typical response from, from the, from the producer, uh, or the, you know, the chicken processor that's, that's linked to these illnesses. And, and the fact that there has not been, um, a, a recall, uh, uh, you know, of, of any of these products. And, and Don and I have talked a bunch about foster farms on, on the podcast as um, those who listen, uh, know we've, you know, it just seems like while there's an expectation uh, that Salmonella and Campylobacter occur in chicken um it seems to be something out of the ordinary with this with this particular uh processor just the number of illnesses the uh number of um, uh, positive uh uh samples taken at, at retail um that these sp- specific strains are are you know almost always linked to um uh, to foster farm. So and, and, and I guess the thing that you wrote about this week was the contrast between recalls for seminal and, and pet food um and, and how they're they are plentiful. Uh but <laughs> but this uh uh but this group is is has not recalled their their product. But Ben we, we love our pets. We do.
2: <laughs> That's good yeah, good point. You know it's I, I it, this there's uh you can spend we could spend days talking about how you know, this whole adulterant issue and the whole when's, when is when uh, is something going to get recalled and when it doesn't get a recall. And the Foster Farms thing, I think, is just sort of, you know, it's got sort of a smorgasbord of, like, strange things. I mean, you, you've got, um, you know, you've got, you know, over 500 people sickened. Um, you know, if you use the CDC numbers, there's that's, uh, you know, about 29... Uh, Times that is the actual number of people sick and probably in this outbreak. So it's a significant number of people. Um, And, you know, but there's no recall. Uh, But yet when uh, a similar outbreak uh, happened with uh, uh, Cargill meat, I remember the, I think it was the 2010 IAFP, conference in Milwaukee. And, you know, it was, you know, the the rumors were running rampant through the IAFP meeting, you know, that there was going to be some big recall and it wound up being, you know, 20 million pounds of meat, um, you know, recalled um, 134 illnesses. And, you know, I'll throw this out to you guys. You know, if, if, if you walked into a room of non-lawyers, non-food scientists, and said, there's an outbreak that's been going on, sickening 500 people by eating chicken, and nothing happened. And there's this outbreak of, uh, you know, 134 people, and they recalled 20 million pounds of meat. Why didn't they recall the other chicken? You know, and and the answer to the question is is I think would be, most people would go I have no idea why they did that or why they didn't do that. I mean, it's it's to my view, it's sort of, and this is may this is be where we can really talk about, you know, sort of the lawyer thing. I mean, to to my way of visualizing this or putting into words, this makes no sense.
0: Yeah, and I'll you yeah, let me um come back to that uh same sort of discussion we had on the North Carolina law the the other thing here is that you you've got a um a bunch of buyers the you know the people that that stand between Foster Farms and the consumers whether that be at food service or or retail that that also continue to buy the product right mm-hmm. so so you've got mm-hmm. this uh, you know the the recall question you know ultimately comes down to foster farms choice and in you know in, in my mind right right now i mean how it all stands and that uh, in certain situations that are presented the the Cargill example is is a great example where um a similar outbreak resulted in a recall and Cargill did their thing they said okay let's let's get this stuff off the the market foster farm seems to be you know trying to make a point or something um and and stand up to the um, to, to food safety. Um, if we go back and look at some of the, the early, um, uh, media coverage that mm-hmm. quoted that, the, you know, their, their communications folks. And then, um, but people are still buying it. I mean, that's the thing that's, it shouldn't. And, and this is where, you know, we, we've talked, we talk a lot about marketing food safety and letting the market dictate stuff. And, and I know that, um, you know, we, you and I, uh, come at this in, from different angles where, yeah, if the market if the market does its thing and it and it fails, then then there's got to be some legal recourse for mm-hmm. that. Um, in this case, it, it you know people are still uh, you know um, weirdly in my mind buying from them. And I guess it, I mean I'll answer my my own question a little bit. It's probably because they're so massive. I mean I don't know what mm-hmm. the the portion of chicken is that they produce, but it's they're not a you know you remove them from the marketplace, um, chicken goes up. The price of chicken
1: goes up. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I have a, a couple of reactions. So, so first, I think we have to call out Cargill for doing the right thing in that situation, yeah. and maybe maybe it's a difference in corporate food safety culture, right? And Cargill just knew that the right thing to do, and again, maybe maybe from years of getting beat up in lawsuits and other things, they knew that this was the right thing to do. And maybe Foster Farms doesn't have that experience. But I would say that the reason why the product is still on the market and people are buying it is that people either don't know or don't care. I mean, I that, that's it's yeah. it's a sad state of affairs. But I, you know, it would be very interesting to go into supermarkets and survey people and say, "What have you heard about chicken being recalled?" And do you know what the brand of the chicken is? And and by the way, what kind, what brand of chicken have you bought today? Uh, I mean, yeah, what was the, there's some expression somewhere about nobody ever went broke um, uh, underestimating the intelligence of the public, right? I mean, i I'm sad to say, but I think most people may just not know. Or, or they may think, well, surely my chicken is safe because the government is keeping me safe. Surely the government wouldn't let this product be on the market if it could possibly make me sick, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any other explanation.
2: Well, I, I, think, you're, you know, I think you're both right. Um, and my little twist to this is that I think that's exactly why you know why government is needed and, and and maybe you guys won't agree with me on that but 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 i think regulation is is absolutely needed because consumers you know whether they're super busy or super stupid or you know or combination of both or there's just too much information or they believe that You know, why would the food be in the grocery store if it was unsafe Um, or a combination of all those things? You know, that's exactly why, um, you know, I think you really need to create, you know, not only a food safety culture to steal some stuff from you guys, but to not only create a food safety culture, but to have, you know, enforcement mechanisms, you know, by the government that you know give consumers sort of that justification that they can be somewhat oblivious to food safety because frankly they are
1: yeah and I, and I would say I mean you know Ben and I have both gone on record as, as saying you know with respect to the raw milk discussion that we're that we're libertarians on that issue but I I don't disagree with you at all Bill I think that we there is a need for regulations and and ultimately I think everybody um, the government and the industry both would be a whole lot happier if the government would just leave the industry alone and the industry would police itself. I mean, examples where that's happened, I think everybody walks away a lot happier because the industry knows how best to control the problem. But where we need laws and regulations are to step in in situations where clearly something needs to be done and the industry is not doing it. Now, the problem is, is that there's there's a, that's a that's a Kind of a fuzzy line, right at what point does the right. does the government need to step in, and then of course, we live in this wonderful country. Um, where where meat and poultry are regulated separately from everything else, and that leads to additional confusion in the mind of consumers and in the mind perhaps of, of lawyers and certainly of food safety microbiologists that work at universities when we have to explain this thing to people. Like, well, this is the regulations we have, and the reason we have them is because of history. Right. <laughs> um, right. But or, it, make, or- it makes no sense, but... Right. Um, you know, that's, uh, but, but I, I think there, I mean, we have regulations for a reason and, and, and it, you know, we have the, the HACCP mega reg for a reason, right. And we have the FISMA for a reason and, and hopefully we're moving towards a food supply that's safer and that has better designed, more helpful regulations that, that everybody, uh, everybody can appreciate, but it's a, it's a long, hard road.
0: Well, and, and, and I mean, in well, this in this case to, as well. Okay. Oh, sorry, Bill. Um, no, no, no. Go ahead. It, uh, it. I mean, if we look back to O one five seven H seven as an adulterant, it once that happened, it seemed to work, right? Like that seemed to matter. It seemed to um, place a lot of emphasis, and, and I'm sure the the beef industry, um, you know, still grumbles about about that. But that forced them to do something different, and it and it forced I, you know, not all of them, because some of them were already treating it like that. And I think that that in this case, we're looking at, uh, you know, one one pretty prominent big part of the industry.
2: That's a saying. I like that's a very interesting. That's a really interesting perspective, Ben. I think that's. I think you're, you know, right on. I mean, I think that um, a lot of times, you know, regulation um, or you know these lines in the sand. Oh, and is an adulterant. Um, you know they're they're not des- they're not necessarily designed for the people um, who could get by without regulation because they probably do the right thing anyway. But they're designed for you know the rest of the market. Maybe that's a small or maybe a large part. But the people who just can't seem to do it, do it for the right business or moral reason.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Don and I, um, are both part of the, um, food safety preventive controls Alliance. You know, this, this group that's putting together, um, uh, a training program to help, um, small and medium-sized producers comply with, the prevent control rule under under fisma and i think that Mm -hmm. that's you know that that's exactly it What, what you know in in my experience through this um through through working with this with this group we've got i don't know 40 or 50 people that that come from companies that are already well above and beyond anything that that anybody could write into fisma or any of the the rules and they're trying to um you know, come up with some suggestion on how to do this, uh, for smaller producers who, who aren't at the same level. I mean, um, Campbell's versus, you know, mom's pie shop is, right. you know, two, two totally different, um, size issues, two d- totally different size things, but ultimately the same rule is going to apply to them. So, yeah, it, it's, um, I don't know this, this foster farm stuff. We, in you know, like I said, we've talked about it a bunch, um, from various different uh, avenues and and it's just one of those things that it, it seems to they seem to stick out with with respect to others in the uh, in the industry
2: you know I haven't done this yet, but I think it wouldn't be very difficult to do, but one of the things that in, not you know to sort of belabor the foster farms thing, but the uh, i was I was um, shocked at how similar the Foster Farms press folks and how similar the government people sounded um, to sort of just post- Jack in the box, you know where there was consumers have that responsibility, and and the government was saying, oh, you know we, you know if we tried to get E. coli out of meat, you know the 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 whole we just wouldn't have any meat on the marketplace, and everything would collapse, and oh my God, this would just be horrible. Um, I was just I it'd be interesting to go back and you know historically pull out of the archives the press releases from the big meat producers back then and from the AMI and NMA and, and even some of the, you know, comments by, you know, people at FSIS. And I would bet, you know, everybody was saying exactly the same things 20 years ago as what they were saying in the last six months from foster farms. Cause it's the same, it's the same thing.
1: Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me a bit.
2: Yeah. What? So, you know, you know, I was just going to, say one thing about adulterant and maybe we could, talk about auditors because I think that's a a fun topic lately. Um, But, you know, the one thing about, I think it's very difficult for, you know, most normal people to go and realize that, uh, you know, meat uh, or anything, you know, overseen by FSIS that's contaminated with salmonella, salmonella is not considered an adulterant. But if you go and jump over that, this magical fence onto the FDA side of the equation, um, salmonella miraculously becomes an adulterant in everything, and you know you you you're it's against the law to ship E. coli or Salmonella or Listeria tainted products if you're on the you know uh, FDA side of the food equation, but it's not illegal to ship uh, Salmonella tainted products from FSIS. And I just think that's just sort of at some point, as we kind of keep trying to justify that weird differential, it just keeps making less and less and less sense to me.
1: Well, and as as a scientist, I can explain it by (coughs) saying Salmonella is naturally present in the intestines of animals, and so it's impossible to remove it completely. And blah blah blah. I mean, you know those arguments; you've Mm -hmm. heard them before. Um, Unfortunately, all those same facts are true for a one five seven eight seven. So, you know, that just kind of leaves me scratching my head, right? I mean, I can argue the science as to why Salmonella shouldn't be an adulterant, but but if I pursue that line, then and 015787 shouldn't be an adulterant either. And so, I, you know, I just end up, uh, you know, kind of sitting in a dark room rocking back and forth. Well,
2: <laughs> well and, you know, one of the things as a, as a lawyer, you know, throwing the lawyer thing in there, and I and I and and don't forget that Mike Taylor is a lawyer, um, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, when when Mike did what he did for 0157, and obviously he had support from the president and others, um. But you when you name something an adulterant, by, by default, everything else is not an adulterant. And you know, there that's that in part, you know, um in part, if you would have listened to Vilsack explaining he was getting grilled the other day by Rosa Delora uh on the foster farms issue about, you know, why isn't Salmonella an adulterant? And he was like, Oh, legal this and illegal that and you know one of the things the, the good thing that Mike did was a 157 h is an adulterant it may not make sense from a scientific perspective and I agree and appreciate that dilemma there of, of you rocking back and forth in a dark room which I'm I, I now have I now have a visual of you Don that I'm never going to be able to shake um but uh but, you know, I mean, that's just a functional reality of what FSIS did 20 years ago. It's by shutting the door on 0157, they kept the door open for, you know, other adulterants.
0: Well, this is a, a good place for us to transition to something else that we've talked a bunch about too, which is um, the the zero tolerance for listeria and ready-to-eat foods, where if, you know, if we look at um, – salmonella well we'll look at a seven and, and salmonella as uh, as these organisms that takes on average very few to make you sick y- you know so having a presence absence test that shows that it's in there is enough for to to say okay there's a public health risk here but but listeria is not quite the same the same way and and we've um you know, following Jensen Farms, following, um, uh, I mean, even going back to a couple of years before that, just this increase of recalls that have been based on presence, absence of listeria, no illnesses, and that product coming off. You know, may, maybe or maybe not, there. there's a public health risk there um, right. because it, you because know, it it needs to have the right conditions to grow to the hundreds of thousands of cells uh, for someone to in, to ingest it, and it's and it's kind of an you know an an interesting one to to look at. And the Jensen thing brings it up you know in nicely is that, gosh, if you go back before that outbreak, that you know really tragic outbreak as as you mentioned, um, and you ask Don and I or some of the other colleagues out there that that we have in the um you know in the microbiology world and say okay do you expect to see listeria on the outside of a cantaloupe and then potentially on the inside i think we'd all probably you know shake our heads yes that it's it's there but we haven't seen illnesses with it and it's probably not in the in the levels high enough to, to cause illness and then bam we have jensen farms hit and it's like, whoa, what's different here? Because there's probably been a lot of listeria floating around in, in fresh produce for a long time. But, you know, very few outbreaks or, or illnesses.
1: Well, and we didn't have any farmers building an inoculation machine to make Correct. sure that every <laughs> every <laughs> cantaloupe left with massive levels of multiple strains of listeria. Well, right? hang, hang on, though.
0: Actually, <laughs> let me as, – as trite as that comment is – I've been to a bunch of farms and I think there are a lot of inoculation machines <laughs> out there, but, ah. but, but, but not, but not, but no outbreaks. I mean, that's the thing is, is, you know, there, there's, you know, we've, we focused a lot on this and, and we would never, uh, you know, I, I would have just assumed that we'd be focusing on salmonella or, or 0157 for, for these fresh produce items. And, well, and then, then all of a sudden we got, we've got a, a, a listeria thing and it's not, I mean really happened again.
1: Yeah. Well, but this brings us back to Foster Farms. Yep. Why why is Foster Farms causing so many cases of salmonella, right? Is there what is different or unique about their operation? What was different and unique about the Jensen Farms operation such that it caused this catastrophe? Yeah. And I don't I don't think in the end I don't think we know. And, in either case.
0: Yeah. And even I mean Bill, you've had some some experience. I mean, quite a lot of experience visiting facilities post outbreak, right? And and visiting you know farms, but but I mean on the processing side, of, you know, some of the stuff that I re, I remember reading about on your blog and and seeing, um, I you know going in and, and I don't know what that process is on from a legal standpoint, but but walking around right and taking pictures and and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what what was going on, you've been you've been in this this food industry or around the food industry for 20 years, I'm sure you've looked at, you've been in other facilities that haven't had outbreaks. Do they, I mean, to you, do they look all that much different? I mean, there's, you know, there's something different, obviously about these places that cause them, but what, you know, is it something that, that you as a, um, you know, walking around and being inside of them can, can literally see or
2: pick up? Well, the, certainly the ones that I've been in, um, have usually been the worst of the worst. Yeah, the, you know the PCA, the the Wright County egg barns. I mean, um, you know, uh, you know some slaughterhouses, uh, the Jensen Farms facility. Um, you know, actually, the Jensen Farms facility was, you know, considering what it was, what I thought was actually not a bad place. Um, but you know, you had, you know. Um, You know, uh, you had an edict from the the big box retailers that that cantaloupes should be pristine when they arrive at their stores in certain size boxes and. Oh,
0: Oh, Bill, are you there? Oh, yes. We lost you for a sec, Bill.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. And you had the auditor there the year before who was looking at, um, you know, the, the, uh, the cold, the cold bath of chlorine water and looking at it and saying, you know, that's a risk, you know, area there primarily because they were worried that, you know, the Jensen's wouldn't monitor the chlorine levels in the, the chlorine bath. So that's what they took that thing out, um, when they took that thing out and they started just spraying it down with, you know, regular tap water with no chlorine, you know, it, you, know it's, you created a situation where there was, you know, no sort of added antimicrobial. Um, but in my view, the, you know, the thing that caused this outbreak was the use of water, Period to wash the exteriors of the cantaloupe. And then when they put them in boxes and then they ship them long distances, it was an interesting factoid in that outbreak. There's, you know, there, if you look at the, the epi curve, not only the epi curve, but the epi map of Colorado, you'll see that there's nearly a, uh, a Listeria illness in every County uh, except the two or three surrounding Holly, Colorado. And even though, people were buying those cantaloupes uh, directly at the farm level off a, you know, farm stand, they were eating the cantaloupes, you know, directly that came off the fields before they went into the, you know, to the washing facility. Oh, man. So you, you have to ask yourself, oh. you know, I mean, in our burning, in our burning desire to have pristine, clean, you know, perfect cantaloupes in our, you know, Walmarts and Kroger's of the world, so we don't have to think about it or do anything. I just wonder, you know, what this outbreak would have looked at like if they had never washed the cantaloupes and, you know, the people had just taken the cantaloupes home and washed them themselves. Um, well, and and Ben and I, suspicion talked, is yeah. we wouldn't have we wouldn't have had an outbreak.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, and Ben and I have talked about this. It's like, wouldn't it make more sense to to find some way to dry clean those cantaloupe mm-hmm. and knock the dirt off, but to not use water? I mean, and and the the data that you're calling out there suggests that that would have been exactly the right thing to do. Yep,
2: yep, yep. Mm-hmm. It would have been a different. It would have been a different outcome.
0: Bill, um, since you're, uh, you know, a lot closer to the, um. To the cases than we are. Um, back when this outbreak hit, I, I talked to someone from CDC who said that when they were looking at the um, case control study data that that hasn't been published yet. You know, now you know whatever four years later, three years later, um, that uh, the majority of the hospitalizations and, and illnesses were linked to cantaloupe that had um, had been cut and in uh, someone's fridge at home for, for some time, um, you know, whether that be three days or five days, uh, is there, I mean, can you recall if that is what yeah, was the case? And I don't, I, I don't want to put that as like, there's a consumer. Oh, no, 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 yet. no, no, no. no. Yeah. I think,
2: no, I think that's a, I think that's a, a, a legitimate uh, deal. and I can only talk a, sort of about the cases you know, my cases. Right. Um, and, I mean, there are a couple things. One is um, one, two, three, four, five of my clients who got sick, three of whom died, um, ate cantaloupe that was either prepared for them in a restaurant hmm. um, or uh, they purchased either cut and half cantaloupe or cantaloupe that was sort of cubed and put into a um you know like a plastic container that you could buy at a grocery store so of the 46 people uh five of my clients uh purchased product that you know there was a a manufacturer between them and you know the supply chain um and you know those people got sick and died um mm-hmm the, the m- many of the people were were elderly um, and I can tell you that the vast majority of those people um, you know ate the cantaloupe that day or within a relatively short period of time um, there are a handful of people who um, you know had you know cut can you know cut the cantaloupe um and then you know you know corded it out and then stored it uh in their refrigerator um like people do yeah for a few days yeah. um well and and i mean especially
0: for an, an older person i alone. I challenge any of them to eat a whole cantaloupe in a sitting i mean right it's exactly. just it, that's it's not built it's not like a banana. Um, there's, there's a lot there.
2: Yeah. um, The, the thing is, is you're not going to get, you're not going to get a lot of information about that primarily because, and I don't, it just, you know, dead men don't tell tales. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a a lot of these people are dead. Um, and you know, the, the information is just doesn't exist. So it'll be interesting to see what the CDC comes up with because you know I can look at the forty six people that I represent, but they may have more information on the hundred and forty seven people you know that they you know that obviously they have they have greater ability to look at that data because they can see more of it yeah
1: well and, and hopefully the controls so they they could do the case control comparison but
2: yeah that'll be interesting that'll yeah. be interesting that' well, be very interesting and
0: and i think i mean for for uh, you know someone who comes from the communication world and how do we translate these risks for consumers or for food service individuals um you know cdc still on their website talks about following the usda guidelines for cut um uh you know cut cantaloupe which is cut it up and eat it within 3 days and and don just had a paper published i mean this month right don on modeling Listeria growth and cantaloupe and, um, and refrigeration temperatures. And, and if you've got a, a refrigerate refrigerator that's sitting at 45 degrees, you're going to get one log increase of listeria per, you know, what is it, every day? I might God. be overstepping that. You
1: you know my paper better than I do, Ben. <laughs> I'd have to go back and read it.
0: <laughs> I think that's what it says. And, I mean, maybe the message is, isn't uh, – and it, 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 it's along the same lines as the, as the foster farm stuff. And, and something that Bill said, um, when I, probably the first time that I saw you talk or one of the times that the first time that I met you, uh, around labeling and, and really truly getting at risk messaging, uh, having stronger types of messages that, you know, this stuff will f and
2: kill you. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you can, you can it, do what I do is, is, uh, you know, uh, Anytime my, my, my wife went away for a few days, um, this week and weekend with some girlfriends. And so I was here sort of managing the household in my, you know, way I do that, which is take everybody out to dinner and and then to breakfast. But, but I was, you know, I, I was looking in the refrigerator and not, and I have to admit, I don't do it as often as I should. And so I was looking in the refrigerator and there was just a lot of stuff in, there was a lot of stuff in in those, you know, CRISPR drawers that I think had been there for a while and things that could have Listeria on them. So I just started pulling them out and them ran- randomly and putting them in the garbage can. So, you know, that's my, you know, I, uh, I need to probably send my wife out of town more often. We'd probably have <laughs> safer, safer stuff. We'd have less stuff in our refrigerator, but it'd probably be safer. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Well, and, and I mean, I think that's, that's it is the more we know about what happens in these outbreaks? The better we can make our our messages. I mean, if 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 cutting and holding it in the fridge increases the risk, then then we got to get that information out. And and truthfully, it's not just I mean, nerds like like us. It's the cantaloupe industry that's selling the stuff It um, uh, needs to be able to tell people how to handle their um, their products safely.
2: Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree. And you know, and then the whole thing about. I still think it's really fascinating, um, you know, when you when you have specs for products being um, designed from you know on high in these you know big box stores. When the specs are coming out down the, the chain. Um, how many of those have anything to do with food safety and have have more to do with appearance, and then nobody paying attention to how the appearance spec may well you know be more problematic for them on a food safety uh, level so yeah. and i 'll yeah.
0: throw you another another one out there that that we 've seen. Um, you know, post Jensen and and also if I go back to some of the work that I that I used to do with uh, greenhouse producers back in Ontario, that the individuals, the companies that make the sorting machines, that make the you know the graders, um, these you know hundreds of thousands of dollars that go into these cantaloupe lines or or whatever that you know, pick the product, um, they're built for speed and efficiency, but. I mean, try and, try and clean it, <laughs> try and, right. and, and create a, um, you know, a sanitation clean break. Um, so you can limit your, your likelihood if you do have a, an issue that you have a lot, I mean, there aren't, uh, generally in, 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 you know, as and and Bill, you've probably seen the same mm-hmm. thing, Don, I know we've talked about this. I think if, if I'm a fresh produce producer and I use a line, I might, you know, spray it down with some chlorine every night, but there's a whole lot of food contact surfaces that aren't really cleanable and sanitizable. And I, over my season, I have one lot. I mean, I'm recalling everything. If I have a problem, I don't have a way to break some of the niches for, for pathogens on those machines. And it's, you know, it's an engineering thing uh, at that sense. It's, you know, folks that, that have, that are building these things are also aren't thinking about food safety. Um, the same way that nerds like us are.
2: I would agree. I'd agree. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, uh, well, well, we've had we've we've had you on the line here for for an hour. Don, is there is there other stuff that? Uh...
1: Well, you know, there was one other question, uh, uh, Ben, that you wrote that I would be very interested in getting Bill's perspective on, and and basically what Ben wrote here in our notes file is norovirus outbreaks and why you don't do them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, well, primarily because, well, I'll take it, take a, my first norovirus outbreak that I was involved in um, was clearly ill workers uh, transmitting it to the people they were serving salads to. Um, and it was a, it was a, uh, it was the, basically the it was a dinner uh, in Hollywood for um, basic. It's the porn industry's version of the Oscars, which now I can't remember the name of the award that they got. I oh, will find it. We'll uh, yeah, find it. I can't remember it, but it was an outbreak, and this and this is like 19. It might have been 1998 or 99. It's
1: anyway. the AVN Awards. <laughs> The adult adult video network awards. That
2: was very quick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like like a little too, little too quick. Yeah, it's it's all Google. I just I just
1: searched for porn industry Oscars and I didn't even spell industry writing. It's Uh, the second hit on Google.
2: Oh well, so okay, (laughs) but as uh, whatever (laughs) As, as my. My daughters would yeah. say um,
0: they they but, do have. Uh, j- just hang on a second. They do have awards for best vignette release, best Gonzo series, oh. um, the very uh, best uh, best performance, and then a lot of things that we probably can't say on the podcast.
2: Yes, best, <laughs> best. But um, but but in any event, what what the, and the uh, um, the L.A. County Department of Health uh, did a great investigation, and they had. And did a uh, not only investigation, but the, they did a charts and they showed you know, tables and, and, and which servers were serving what tables, so you could see the the spread of the norovirus and um, you know throughout is you know who was the sick worker and and all that. That was much more sort of you know straightforward, kind of in my wheelhouse. You know, you know, contaminated food causing somebody to get sick. The, the worker being the vector, the salad being sort of the most likely vehicle. Um, and that makes sense. But the, one of the things about noroviruses is that it, it is almost impossible sometimes to figure out how it came into a facility. Um, you know, was it, you know, a uh, you know, a customer bringing it in uh, that's spread, you know, rapidly. There's obviously, there's the studies that show that it can be airborne, waterborne, foodborne. And from a causation perspective, in order to prove that somebody could have done something about it, you need to sort of prove that you could actually do something about it. And I think norovirus is just one of those sort of bugs that doesn't lend itself to like a particular process that says, oh, that's how it happened. So that's why I sort of have stayed sort of shied away from them uh, unless it's real clear that it's, you know, either foodborne or had been born, you know, uh, by an employee. Is, um, and, and I know, I mean, you
0: obviously focus on food, but are there other lawyers like you that focus on things like infection control? And I mean, we, we saw something just this weekend where, um, there was a long-term care facility in Minnesota. Uh, right.
2: The norovirus. Yeah. I saw that. Yes. Um, and, and so yeah.
0: it's like, so it's kind of like, it's not food, but you know, it's, um, maybe infection control the facility's not very good, and that's a contributing right. factor
2: yeah i mean there there you know mrsa there, there are yeah. a lot of yeah there's there there are um but but now once once you you you're now getting into the realm of of um of uh in a really sort of medical malpractice mm. and you know and um and again um You've got to be able to show not only that you know illnesses and deaths occurred, but then you have to show that how it happened and that what they were doing was below the standard of care. And each one of those things is uh, causation, and did they are they operating below the standard of care? You know, if you, if you use the two, the four deaths in Minnesota, you know. They might, but as you can imagine, since norovirus is so easily transmittable, you know, it'd be one thing. You have to just look at each fact. I mean, did you know? Did you have one person with norovirus, you know, in room number one, um, and they didn't? You know, they knew about it. They didn't isolate it. They didn't do anything. And then people in room two, three, four, and five were the four people that died. Uh, and they did, you know, did so, you know, in a rapid se- secession. And had they isolated room number one, cleaned the facility, the, these other four deaths wouldn't have occurred. That's the kind of mm. fact-specific stuff that you got to get in a, you know, in a, you know, malpractice type scenario. It's it's a much 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 more difficult, not impossible, but much more difficult you know, road to hoe.
0: Where, where with food, some of the facts are, well, you know, um, the outbreak strain was found elsewhere. Or, Correct. Or, you know, the, some of the, the, those things are, it's a little more, it's a little tighter. I mean, that... Yes, Correct. Epic, Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you, um, and you and I talked about this a, a while ago, but in, and we don't see all of the stuff that Um, that goes on, but, but are, I mean, are you finding that, um, that you're basically not going to trial for the most part, like a lot of what you do because of, of the history and and being around, um, the industry for, for so long that, um, that it becomes a, a, maybe often a long drawn out settlement situation, but, but
2: there's not a lot of trial that, that happens. Um, well, I sort of, I always, there's, uh, there's sort of two factors, um, One is, um, you know, sort of just from a legal personal perspective, um, you know, I sort of earned my stripes sort of early, um, you know, when people know that, you know, you're very well prepared and, you know, you will do what it takes to, you know, prove your case and you go to trial and you, you, you win that's sort of a reputation that you develop. Um, And so, and then I think, you know, rightly or wrongly, um, you know, over the last, you know, two decades, you know, I I don't think, um, you know, people may not like me for good reasons, but I don't think anybody thinks that I don't work hard. (laughs) And so, so so
1: well and and I I've heard people in the food industry say that you're a known quantity, right? Like they know that you're going to come in and you're going to do certain things and they right. they it's like it's like you kind of know what you get and so they're going right. to settle at what they think is fair and hopefully you're going to work with them to find what's fair for the victims. Um right. but it's not um, like I said, it's, it's a known quantity. Okay. We we're, know we're dealing with Marler here. Let's figure out what we got to do to, to take care of and resolve this situation. It's, it's not, you know, you're not like some, you know, loose cannon or Correct. unknown quantity where they just don't know what to do.
2: Right. And, and, you know, I always sort of look at it, um, it's sort of, I, I'm not the kind of guy that spikes the ball. You know, I think it's the lawyers that, you know, spike the ball um, you know, that's not necessarily in their client's best interest. And it's also not necessarily in, you know, the industry's best interest. Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, it's, you know, part of the reason I do so many of the things that I do, you know, you know, spend two or three, you know, or sometimes more days a month, Flying around the world talking about why it's a bad idea to poison your customers. I mean, part of the reason I do that is because it makes it really difficult to, for industry to sort of pigeonhole me and say, "Oh, that guy's that you know trial lawyer who you know you know has fancy cars and you know fancy watches and you know steals all our money." Uh, it makes it much more difficult for them to sort of not pay attention to sort of the message that. It is a bad idea to poison your customers. And, you know, and and so, you know, part of it is that, you know, I, I may be a known quantity, but it's a sort of a known quantity who shows up, proves that they've got a problem. You know, here's the PFG pattern, matches your food and matches the person and matches 100 other people. There's very little, there's nothing else to argue about except, how much money it's worth.
1: Well, and right. And you're not going to take a case unless you know that you can win it. Right. Exactly. And so they know, they know that if you're showing up at their door, it's for real.
2: Well, hold on. What's that? Where's my wallet? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. I think it's up. I think it's up there. (laughs) I have, I have, uh, Three teenage daughters. Get, get, <laughs> get used to it, Ben. Yeah. So, where's Where's your wallet? <laughs> is it up there? Okay, then it's in Mom's car in the glove box. So, sorry, guys. Uh, no, this, that's fine. I, no, this is you know, hilarious,
1: Bill. This is This is why people tune in.
2: So, hey, I was just going to say, uh, you know, uh, I would say, Don, you're right most of the time that, you know, I don't take cases that I'm going to lose, um, you know, because, you know, but we, 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 we look at, I'll give you an example. Um, In fact, I was talking to uh, one of the lawyers in the Townsend Farms Barry case uh, Mm. at a a meeting and um, I represent, there's 162 people officially in the outbreak. Um, You know, I represent uh, 75 of them Um, and then there's a lawyer here, a lawyer there who has some, um, but we looked at Another hundred cases that we, you know, that were either hepatitis A, but they also, you know, had visited Mexico recently, or they thought that they had hepatitis, or maybe even they had a kind of abnormal liver function, but we couldn't prove the case. And so we went through, you know, looking at all the medical records, whatever health department records existed, interfacing with these people, interviewing them, questionnaires, and then said, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry you were sick, but, you know, we can't prove that you were sick from Townsend Farm Berries. And I was explaining that to the Townsend Farm Berry guys, like, you know, um, you guys should actually pay me to make sure that, you know, the only cases you're seeing are legitimate. ones. And, <laughs> and of course, of course he was saying, well, Bill, we are paying you and I'm yeah. like, to do just that. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 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 I forgot. So, but you know, one of the things I was going to say, and, and I certainly, you know, I, this has been really fun, you guys. And I, I'm honored to, to, to hang out with you because it's really cool. Um, but, uh, You know, I want to talk a a little bit about um, sort of the the auditor situation, um, because Mm -hmm. there, um, you know, I had never, um, I had never, uh, you know, I had never expected. I mean, that's the case where, you know, I took that issue on um, not knowing that I was going to win that case uh, and still in all you know, may or may not. But, you know, the uh, you know, I, as I said, you know, I've been involved in lots of cases, been involved in lots of cases where an audit was performed. Um, and some of the audits being performed said the company was a superior rated 96, 98. Um, and but those cases in the past, I never filed a lawsuit against the inspector and the reason i didn't file it is because like an inspection may have been done 6 months before the outbreak 3 months before the outbreak there was no sort of causal nexus I mean, even though the inspection was maybe spotty and not that great and if you compared it to the fda 483 inspection report you go wow these can't be the same facilities but the 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 time difference the the causal relationship, the temporality of that is just, you couldn't say that it was something related. Uh, Jensen Farms was different. I mean, Primus was there. I mean, not only were they there, they were there in 2010, they were there in 2011. They created uh, Jensen Farms' food safety plan, which is not something the public knows. But They created a food safety plan for Jensen Farms in 2010. Mm. And when they audited them in 2011, of course, no one looked at the food safety plan to see if Jensen Farms was they didn't audit off that plan. Um, And so it was a real sort of different sort of situation. And it was also one where um, both Walmart uh, required the use of, you know, this particular auditor. Um, the auditing company. And so had they failed the audit, which they should have, um, uh, based on their own auditing, um, they should have failed that audit. Um, These cantaloupes never would have made it into Walmart, maybe never would have made it into Kroger, and we probably wouldn't have seen this outbreak happen. So a real different set of facts, um, which is, you know, unfortunately is freaking the auditing industry out to, to, uh, you know, to no end. Um, And, uh, but I was always, I was, uh, there was a, uh, I think it was in the Packer, one of the produce news or something like that. Um, One of the reporters had gotten a hold of the lawyer for uh, Primus and, you know, was asking them questions about, you know, what is this, you know, what, Said it was a superior rated ninety six, and the lawyer says, "Well, everybody knows what a ninety six means." <laughs> like, and you are like, "No, not everybody knows okay. what a ninety six means." Like, so, what does
0: it mean then? <laughs> yeah.
2: So it's a, it's a, it's a, um, but it's a. This is a real big expansion uh, of also the law. I mean, um, the the law of the land uh, prior to this Jensen Farms case was that. Um, auditors in these kinds of situations do not owe a duty to a victim. They owe a duty to Jensen Farms. They owe a duty to whoever they contract with, but they don't owe a duty to the victim. And our argument has been that, you know, the victim of the outbreak is a third-party beneficiary of the contract between Jensen Farms and Primus and that there actually should be a legal duty. Um, Primus has filed thirty motions in all these very, many of these cases to dismiss our claim, and I can tell you they've lost every single one of them so far, which is six. Hmm. And so, uh, they have now created a new body of law that I think they had will wish the auditing industry will wish had not been created interesting so it's,
0: we you know we've talked about auditors a, a bunch as as well and um i uh i did a workshop um with uh with our good friend gordon hayburn um in dubai this year weirdly um which i've also been to dubai with both of you so it's a it's an odd situation but um, where we talked about the, you know, Gordon comes from the auditing uh, background and um, is now uh, working with a, a nut company in, in Canada, but the, you know, the audits themselves aren't inherently bad. It's that no one does anything with them, right? Like that's the, that that's the situation. It's if, if someone has, is looking at what's contained in the notes and what's, what's there beyond the, you know, if, if, if everyone knew what a 96 was, um, yeah, that's the, that's the issue I think, or maybe not the only issue, but that's one of the big issues is we, we create this system that, and, and you go back historically. I mean, the reason why we have auditors is because there is no nothing like FISMA and the buying community said, look, we can't trust our suppliers, um we're going to help them by uh coming up with standards and then having them pay somebody to say that the standards being enforced um and then uh and and then they're going to gain entry to the marketplace and really with the auditing companies and and this is you know me just reading it from the outside they they also don't tell people how to use their audits or make you know decisions and 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 that's, I mean, just like with, you know, some of the stuff that that Don and I talk about is we can show you what the risks are, but you still have to make the risk management decision. Um, And that a lot of the decisions are are consistently not being made based on information that they have, even if it was good information.
2: Right. No, no. And, you know, I mean, uh, you know, the beef industry, you know, at the turn of, you know, 19... 1920, you know, they made the business calculation that they'd rather have, uh, you know, inspectors being paid for by, you know, taxpayers. Uh, but, you know, that, you know, the advent of mass production and advent of, uh, you know, mass produced food post-World War II, where, you know, all of a sudden you had this need for potentially, you know, uh, uh, Employees to be inspectors in food facilities that were now going to be overseen by this this FDA. We, you know, we did in the U.S. decided that, you know, we didn't want to pay for that by taxpayer dollars. And, you know, to the to the credit uh, to you know many of the big retailers and whatnot, they wanted to have some sense that their supply chain had some safety mechanisms in place. And so you created this system that's, who knows how, you know, it'd be fascinating to do a study to see what the cost of the auditing industry is versus if it had been, you know, done by, you know, public employees. I don't have any idea what the economics of that would be, but, you know, it is what it is. And it's going to be fascinating, I think, to see What's the overlay when, you know, the third party certification thing comes out? I mean, you know, I have no idea what that's going to look like and the impact that's going to have on the auditing industry or, frankly, the repercussions of the Jensen Farms litigation to the auditing industry. It could have very profound and unknown impacts, potentially good, but potentially not so good.
1: Yeah, interesting times.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be really interesting, I think. Well, uh, well, my kids. I I just want you to know that my something happened while I was on the phone with you because now there's no one in my home, and you told them where the
1: wallet was, Bill, I,
2: and, and my wallet is gone. Uh, the, my dog is here. Uh, well, is so I mean, I. Guess I could just have a glass of wine. So, and and unfortunately, it's it. This has been fun. I, I, like I said, I, both I, I have to admit, I am, I am a big fan of both of you. I've, I've known Ben for you know since he was a, a baby. Literally, Ben. Ben, 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 I believe. I think. Were you an undergraduate when I met you? I was. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We go. We go way back. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, having this conversation with bill in a uh in a bar right beside the arena or right above the arena yeah yeah we're 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 doug and i hatched a lot of our uh a lot of our plans like the food safety info sheets and partially the blog but but i remember having this bill got like so excited so he came out and visited us and we just like rattled off outbreaks that were going on both you know everybody's sitting around this table and and bill's like this is so cool you guys are nerds just like me
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it was true it was really it was really good yeah it was back i don't know what year that was but i was i was definitely an undergrad yeah, um it must,
2: might have been in the late 90s yeah, or yeah, yeah, it could have been like
0: a, 99 or 2000 yeah yeah, yeah it's, so. been, it's a it's a long time i've probably known I've, I've known bill longer than most of the other people i've known food safety so, yep. no, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it.
2: Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if there's anything I could ever do to help you guys, please don't hesitate.
1: Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot, Bill. It's been, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show.
2: Yeah. And I'll see you guys uh Food Safety Summit. No. Yes? No. Not, nope. not, not
1: me. I mean, IAF,
2: maybe IAF. I, oh, I'll be yeah. at IAFP. We'll be sure. there. Yeah, I've got it. Uh, they asked me. I don't know what I what I did or didn't do to deserve this, but they asked me to give a speech at IAFP. Um, so I've been sort of working on a, uh, my working topic is sort of, you know, an overview of, uh, the last 20 years and sort of using, uh, what I consider to be, you know, the success of, you know, Oh, one, five, seven. Um, because, you know, one of the things that, you know, and obviously there's still outbreaks and there's, you know, but, uh you know, the proof is in the fact, and I, I know I've told Ben this before, is, is that, you know, from about 1993 to about 2003, about 90% of the, my firm's revenue was E. coli cases linked to hamburger, and that is pretty much zero now. Hmm. And I think that's stunningly good news for hamburger eaters. <laughs> so that's stunningly good news. Absolutely. So well, good. We'll, anyway,
0: we'll look forward to, to seeing you in, in Indianapolis. And again, thanks again for um, sharing your time with us today
2: and, and your insights. My pleasure. It was great. My pleasure. Take, thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, thanks
0: Bill. Thanks a lot, Bill. Bye. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Cool.
0: Yeah,
1: he's he's doing he's he's doing more than giving a speech. He's the Parkin lecture. He year. is. So, yeah,
0: so <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I was yeah. gonna ask. I was I was trying
1: to remember whether it was a Parkin or Silica, but uh, yeah, he was, he's the Parkin lecture. So uh, so it's more than just a speech, and and he'll be he'll be great. So
0: yeah, he'll be he'll be great. That'll be that'll be awesome. Um, that was that was fun. It's it's good because we you know we we talk about lots of different things, and and we we've talked about. Bill a lot um, on the podcast, and it's cool to get his uh, um, you know his insights and, and he you know, he answered he he, want, he talked about everything we wanted him to talk about. Yeah, he answered, absolutely. He was, he was he's open. Yeah. Yep. Um. So that was that was cool. Absolutely. Um. So what else? It's uh. Hey, so, it's,
1: it's eleven o'clock, Don. It, it is. Should we? Can we? Can we? Very quickly talk about. My meeting Lex Friedman though. Yes. Yes we can. We can definitely this is um
0: this is awesome. You sent me a link to Lex's daily daily Lex. Yeah. Um and and I don't know I, I don't know Lex Lex Friedman from Lex
1: Luther. Um, well oh, well, hey. uh, well uh, Lex, <laughs> Lex, uh Lex, Lex Friedman, for those who are following along, is a uh a guy who is uh used to used to write for Macworld, so he's a mac nerd um and now uh, and then and then uh for a while ran his own podcast ad selling business on the side. And now works full-time as I think the uh, VP of sales or executive VP of sales for um, the Midroll, which is a company that sells a whole lot of uh, podcast ads. And my um, encounter, my interaction with him, so it was – I I, I still remember. I was sitting um, on campus at Rutgers. I had just come from a, a meeting and I looked at my phone. That I saw some tweets going back and forth between Merlin and John Syracusa, who's another nerd on the internet that I follow, and uh, I said to them, "Hey, you guys are really funny. You should do a podcast together, and of course, Merlin has a couple of podcasts, and John has a uh, his own podcast and and then and that that it was just must have been something about the timing. And a bunch of a bunch of other nerds just chimed in, you know. Kind of, I'll second that, and it's so great. And and then somebody uh, somebody said, "Well, I'll." uh," Or Merlin said, "Well, um," or or no, a guy named Marco's not not the not Marco Marco not Marco 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 with a K said, "I'll uh, I'll I'll sponsor it." And then uh, and Merlin said, that's great. So as long as Marco sponsors it and Don does all the work, I'm in. And, and then uh, Lex chimed in about something about selling the ads for it. And then he noticed that in my Twitter bio that I live in Freehold, He in his Twitter bio he says he lives in Manalapan, which is the next town over. And he said, hey, we should definitely make this happen because we're in neighboring towns. And then I said, hey, um, since we're in neighboring towns, would you like to get coffee? And then, of course, as soon as I sent that message, I realized that... That, uh, he's He'd only said before tea. that he drinks tea so um and and so we had this um, uh, date <laughs> on a date we had this tea <laughs> tea meeting set up at the local Starbucks that I that I always go to um, and then he canceled because he had to actually have a real business meeting with a real person <laughs> that was real money um, and, and then and then I so he posted something on Twitter later about, you know, having like a really big to do list. And I said, oh, that explains why you haven't got back to me about rescheduling our meeting. And then and then he immediately got back to me and rescheduled the meeting. So we had we had just a very delightful extended conversation, talked a lot about all these podcasting people and uh you know people that 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 he knows some some you know one of whom I know and and just about all the it's sort of inside gossip of of great stuff going on in the podcasting world but he had a lot of really like nice information about podcasting and 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 then and, the other and so and we 'll we'll link to, and so i wasn 't on his podcast. he does a basically a podcast every weekday that 's uh for 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 five minutes uh, where he talks about stuff, and I was the topic of his uh, of his um, uh, his uh, his five minute your daily lex podcast on uh, this past Friday, but the other thing you know talking about podcasting on podcasts is a little bit meta, but there was a really nice um, uh, other podcasts that I also put in the show notes, which was uh, talking with the uh, uh, a guy named Rob Walsh, who works for Libsyn and Libsyn is the I think the biggest hoster of podcasts on the Internet. And it was something that that um, a bunch of people had had linked to and, and Merlin had had. Put on his huffduffer, uh, and and I listened to it over the weekend, and f- a lot of fascinating statistics about podcasts. Apparently, um, if you if you make it, what did he say? If you make it to if you make it to five, you'll probably make it to ten, and if you make it to ten, you'll probably make it to. Th- 50, and if you make it to 50, you'll probably make it to 250. Whoa. Um, yeah. So we're in good shape. Um, but the, but the other interesting piece of information he was talking about, and this is just stuff that's hosted on Libsyn. He was talking about how what's the average number of listeners to a podcast and what's the median number of listeners. And we are slightly above the median number of listeners to a podcast. Huh. So so we're uh, we're above average, Ben, or above median. <laughs>
0: yeah, we're above median and we'll go to two fifty.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> that's pretty good. Was this so, which um so I'm I'm looking at the um uh teardown show. Yes, that's um, the one. And is it no do you, is it number uh do you know which number it it's, is? It's the most it's recent the
1: one? Most recent one talking yep. about the booming business podcast market with Libson's Rob Walsh. Perfect.
0: I will uh I'm gonna uh throw that uh, in my iTunes right now.
1: Yeah, so they 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 spend uh, they spend the first part of the show before they bring uh, Rob on talking about um, uh, RSA and and Bitcoin, uh, which may or may not be interesting to you. But then uh, the the segment with uh, Rob Walsh is just I mean it's fascinating. Lots of good statistics on on podcasts. So.
0: What's interesting about Bitcoin is what we've talked about. is it, it, <laughs> You can use it for – To buy food over buy the internet. Food over the internet. And is that really an FDA-regulated food or not?
1: <laughs> right, right. Um, Since you're paying for it with fake money.
0: With fake money, yeah. Um, that's, it's the, and no one, no one from FDA has gotten back to us on that question. <laughs> not that we've asked. I guess I haven't asked yet. I'm going to text my guy, my, 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 uh, my FDA guy. You do that. And see what he says.
1: Um, so I have to I have to say, since we were talking with uh, with lawyers and, and about the, the weirdness of, of law, I have to mention that um, Deep Fed has confided to me that one of the secrets to being successful at FDA, uh, which was told to him, is when you walk in the door, you take off your common sense and <laughs> you hang it you hang it on the hook, and then you're allowed to to pick it up on your way out. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, uh,
0: Deep Fed's awesome. Oh, someone there's a piece of follow up. So, someone wanted to be deep something else. <laughs> I don't think they're allowed to pick it. I think we yeah, have to decide. I think they, it's up to us. I can't remember who it was and I You can't I, pick your own nickname. I feel bad because it was someone it was someone on that that trip to California and I don't know who it was, but they wanted to be can I be deep something? And I don't know who it was, so I can't tell you what it, uh, if if they can or not.
1: Okay. <laughs> Um, deep fried. Somebody could be so, deep fried. Yeah, they
0: could be deep fried. Could be. Uh, could be deep. Uh, deep Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> could be uh, deep. Deep North. Northeast. Uh, oh, it's it's devolving here. Um, hey, this is this is good. We had a bunch of stuff still in there that that why don't we uh, why don't we put that for next time?
1: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll table that. Yeah,
0: because this was uh, it's, it's nice. I like when we go off format a little bit, like we did tonight. And
1: yeah, well, like and this this discussion. was an unexpected. Unexpected opportunity to have Bill on the podcast, and it worked out really well. And And we didn't do Outbreak Flashback, but we're all set for next time.
0: Yeah, we're all good. Um, but I did. We, we have not heard from anybody. So Outbreak Flashback, for the listeners who really well, want to talk about Well, but now in fairness— It's you, Don.
1: we just released the podcast today. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. We talked about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point.
1: Although apparently some people start listening right away.
0: Immediately, and uh, talk about Jeopardy. Yes, drinking and and tea, tea. Uh, which is which is good. Um, well, hey, this has been awesome uh, as always, and this was uh, really. I, I, there is no one else I'd rather spend my su- a Sunday night uh, talking to. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, well, we'll get to your talk to your wife and get back to you on that.
0: Yeah, well, she. I'm going to talk to her in about five minutes. So All right, got awesome. You both of you. So, um, thanks again, and. Oh, so. uh, we will uh, we'll do this again in uh, in a couple of weeks. Sounds good, man. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye. Nice. So, um, so that was great. Yeah, that was really good. Fun stuff. So, I'm glad, I'm glad he actually acknowledged that his daughters were in the background. <laughs> yeah.
0: That would, he wasn't in a so diner. makes so much more
1: sense now. Yes.
0: Yeah. I guess they were washing dishes. He's probably, uh, yeah. he's sitting at his, at his kitchen table. He's got his computer open. He's got his headphones on. He's doing the show yep. and, uh, people are, uh, his daughters are washing dishes and, we stuff and the have
1: to amend the uh, what you need to be on the show. You need Skype, a good microphone, and a quiet room with a door you can close. Right, and everyone
0: needs to know where your wallet is. That's <laughs> that's the other thing. Skype, good headphones, sit close to your router. Um, yeah. Although we know that that's a myth now. Uh, quiet room and uh, a note on the door saying "My wallet is." <laughs> And fill in the blank, right? And and it could be empty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be appropriate. Um. So, uh, I I so I I can't remember if I told you, but I'm I'm away all this week, and I realized like at ten o'clock this morning that my flight tomorrow morning is at six a.m. So I got to get up at four.
1: Right, we talked sucks. about this when yeah. we scheduled the show that you were getting up really early. Super so. early. Well, let you get to bed.
0: Thank you. Um, whoa, what just happened? I cal the new calendar like with Mavericks. Mm-hmm. Takes a little bit of getting used to for me.
1: Uh, I I'm... use I use Busy Cal, so mm-hmm. I would not know about that.
0: It's like when you have something that's all day, mm-hmm. you try and click on something. Like at a sp- particular hour, it mm-hmm. just brings up the all day.
1: Oh,
0: huh. Don't like that.
1: Well, check out Busy Cal. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> you are m- right most of the time. So.
1: <laughs> well, at least at least I'm you're, I'm helping you spend money.
0: Yeah, that's good. Fifty nine. Fifty nine. We're only. Um, oh, I can't do math. We're like less than two hundred away from two fifty. Yes, we are. We're one one ninety one ninety one. We're from
1: and we're we're after we do fifty nine, we'll be one away from sixty. It's gonna be amazing. Yes,
0: um, I think
1: we should retire at sixty five. What do you think?
0: Well, I think <laughs> I think sixty seven. Okay, be the would be the appropriate time to because the because that because retirement age is going up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, have you watched House of Cards yet? No, um, you got to watch it.
1: No. And here's the thing. So I I heard about it on another podcast and I had the discussion, which I've already had it, I think, at least once with Kristen. And it's a show that she cannot watch. No, she won't like it. Because, you know, politicians and it just makes her angry just thinking about it.
0: And also it's like you you root for the bad guys
1: Mm.
0: or it's not clear. Right. right. And well, but apparently and True Detective is over. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I, no, spoil, no spoilers. No spoilers. I got, I got
1: three to go. Okay. Yeah. Well, and all I've heard is that some people like the ending and some people don't.
0: I'm gonna love it because of that. So. <laughs> okay. Also, I watched. Um,
1: I've watched no episodes, so oh, it's,
0: it was it's fantastic.
1: Uh, that's that's what everybody says.
0: Um, August Osage County. Have you seen that movie?
1: No, I've heard of it though. It's
0: really good, and yeah. also um, an ending like like I like. I won't. I'll leave it at that. Okay. It's an ending that I'm sure made other people mad. Mm. Um so uh yeah. Uh so do I I've got audio for this one because you just did audio. You do. For, yeah. Okay, perfect. So I will um upload this into Dropbox now. Mm-hmm. And then uh Andreas can do his fabulous show notes. He's the best. He is. We don't say that enough.
1: We haven't. No, mentioned... we don't. We've been taking them for granted.
0: Andreas, you're the best. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. That's a uh, really bad Australian accent I did. Um, and it's not, I don't know. I don't even know why I did that. I look forward to what Andreas will write about my accent. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. All right um hey so that was cool good job mm-hmm. oh we need that was the other thing we want to get chuck haas on
1: yeah he you know he did not seem as interested he's a regular listener to the show but he yeah i mean i would love to have him on yeah absolutely i think this is i mean it's awesome
0: when we, we have other people on we just have to prepare like three or four things <laughs> it's like yeah, it's less work for us. yeah like the show does itself <laughs> It's less work for us. It's interesting. It's not just us droning yeah, it's on. Just,
1: yeah, it's just kinda of boring.
0: Yeah, this it's is good. I I I liked it. It was great. We should yeah, it uh, was good. we should have some other some some other people on. So do you wanna do you wanna reach out to Chuck again or did he should we move on to someone else? Well <laughs>
1: For the next episode, or no, just in general. Oh yeah. Think, yeah. Well, he didn't. You know, he'll probably maybe he'll hear this if he listens all the way through. Um, he would be a great guest. Um, but he didn't. Um, like you know, there was the Twitter conversation. He he didn't jump right in and yeah. say, "Oh, I'd like to be on too," which maybe just means he's just you know like not maybe a not a uh, publicity hound like uh, <laughs> like yeah. Bill who's like not Bill. listening to this. Yeah, but. uh yeah, I don't know. We'll, uh, let's let's let it ride. And Chuck, okay. if you're listening to this and you'd like to be on the show, uh, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and oh my God, I'm so angry about the five second rule. And oh, we need um, we have a Chuck, whole show on that. Yeah, Chuck. Chuck looked at the that PDF and said he thought it was not bad. I looked at it today, and it's it's. Uh, I, I think they're doing some statistics wrong. So,
0: do you send me the PDF? Do I have did I? It? I don't know. Can you? I don't know. Can Doug you... asked
1: for it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I'd like it. Yep,
0: I'd like to see that, because. Um, uh, because it's – yeah, because I, cause I want to see it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, all right. Thanks. Uh, oh, that's all I got for you. I'm going to bed.
1: All right. Sounds good. Get get some sleep and, and safe travels. Thank you. Hopefully you won't end up uh, in Kazakhstan. If...
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not. I don't even know. I'm not sure what reference that's about. You're but... not following
1: this whole thing with the Malaysian oh, plane is that, that Oh,
0: is it there? Is that where it is? I see, I'm pretty know. sure J.J. Abrams know. took it down. You don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I I think that they're all just in purgatory. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> oh, that's horrible. that's a lost reference. huh? That is a
1: lost I reference. I didn't even watch that show. Oh, like it,
0: but... fantastic. So good. Greatest show. And mm, I don't know if it I... stands up on um, on Netflix, but to watch it in real time before I had a PVR. It was it was awesome. I loved loved it. And then we got a P- anyway. It, I don't think I maybe when my kids get older, I'll watch it with them. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just give them, like, little tidbits, like spoiler spoilers along the way. They're dead. They're all dead. Look like in episode four. <laughs> That's the kind of dad I am. Uh, anyway, what? I hope I don't end up in Tajikistan as well. Uh,
2: <laughs> thank you. Okay. Okay, I'll talk to you. Again. Have a good night. <laughs> good night. Bye. Bye.